Hey, Emily. Konnichiwa, Greg. Oh my goodness, you're speaking Japanese to me because I am back from Japan, a land of robots. Uh, there's a place called Nara where the deer walk up to you and they bow their heads to get uh, rice cookies from you. Japan is a magical place. And actually, as as a New Yorker, Emily, I will tell you this. My favorite thing in Japan was when you go on the subway, instead of having somebody yelling at you, the doors are closing, they play like beautiful music. Uh, and when the music stops, that's when you know the doors on the subway are going to close. How civil. I know. And everybody's in a good mood because of it. So memo to, to you, Bill de Blasio, uh, play like 8-bit NES music in your subways and everybody will be in a much better mood, I think. Um, speaking of moods, boy, has the hockey world been in one this week. <laughs> the... Dismissal of Don Cherry from Sportsnet after some anti-immigrant comments on Coach's Corner on Saturday. It It is the topic of conversation in the hockey world and uh, one that we certainly have to cover thoroughly on this podcast. So down goes Brown. Our good friend Sean McIndoe of, of The Athletic uh, joins us to talk about his column, uh, talking about him being a fan of Cherries and then not necessarily being a fan of Cherries. But we also have another special guest this week. We also have Barry Melrose joining us from ESPN, and he gives us a completely different perspective as someone who's interacted with Cherry and knows Cherry and has seen his decades-long body of work and just has some thoughts on his dismissal as well. So we want to provide some balance for you guys, and that's what we have to a different episode of ESPN on Ice. There's definitely a lot of voices in this. We also have Hockey Hall of Famer Ed Belfort joining us later. So we've got a big episode for you, and uh, it's a lot to unpack. Indeed it is. Plus, Phil Kessler's hot dogs, puck headlines, all the usual merriment. On this edition of the SPN and Ice, so let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And uh, we're getting right into it, folks. Uh, the big story this week, obviously, is the dismissal of Don Cherry from uh, Rogers Sportsnet, uh, the venerable Hockey Night in Canada coach's corner uh, commentator, uh, let go uh, this week after a firestorm of controversy over comments that he made uh, about uh, immigrants and they're allegedly not supporting uh, fallen soldiers. And uh, on top of everything else that's been sort of said by Don Cherry over the last several years about women in the locker rooms and European players and pinko commies and everything else, the sum total of it led to this being the uh, poppy that broke the camel's back. Um, talk behind the scenes is that the sponsors of uh, Roger Sportsnet's hockey coverage, uh, Vocal, uh, and and uh, voicing their displeasure over this situation. A couple of apologies from Rogers and from Ron McLean did nothing to move the needle the other way, and then Don Cherry uh, let go. So uh, we are both American, as you may or may not know, so we decided to bring in a Canadian friend to lend a little bit of expertise to the situation, and he is Sean McIndoe, of course, of The Athletic and a little piece of heaven I like to call the Puck Soup Podcast. <laughs> Down goes Brown. Thanks for joining us. You wrote about Don Cherry 
today uh, in a very personal and eloquent way. And uh, if you can sort of encapsulate your feelings about his uh, dismissal. Uh, how's it going, guys? I feel like I should do the entire thing in my exaggerated Canadian accent. <laughs> sorry, of my... sorry. You have to sorry, do that, sorry, please. Sorry, sorry. Instead of my uh, normal Canadian accent, which sounds pretty much exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> th- yeah, this, this, is, this is big news in Canada. This is literally front page of the newspaper, not the sports section, like front page A1 news. Uh, and probably will be for the next few days. This is uh, uh, a story that I think all of us were expecting to see at some point, and yet you're still stunned when it actually happens. That that this when when that news broke on Monday that they had actually parted ways with Don Cherry. It, it was it was a jaw dropping moment up here. The the fact that. Not the fact that he had gone too far, because we figured that was going to happen, and, and he had probably gone too far plenty of other times. But the fact that it finally caught up to him, and somebody finally said enough is enough, uh, it's it's massive, and it's divisive, and there, there's a lot of arguments happening up here uh, online and around water coolers, and, and pretty soon at the uh, at the bars around uh, around this country. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of hard feelings on on both sides of it. So the column you wrote begins with "I grew up on Coach's Corner," and Don Cherry's fall has been hard to watch. That's the headline of it. And you know, I'm American. I don't get to watch Hockey Night in Canada. I see clips that come through. I'm just wondering if you could explain to us maybe the evolution of Coach's Corner, maybe how Don Cherry has evolved in that role, or maybe how he had it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, th- this is something where he's. Don Cherry, uh, if, if people don't know, had, had been a, uh, a minor league hockey player. Uh, never, never really made it in the NHL, uh, but uh, did make it as a coach. Coached the Boston Bruins for five years. Was coach of the year. Uh, led them to Stanley Cup contention, uh, but never uh, to an actual championship. Was eventually fired after falling out with Harry Sinden. Uh, and coached one year with uh, the Colorado Rockies, which did not go well, uh, and uh, and then found himself out of a job. And, and he had always been a colorful personality. He had always been, uh, even by the standards of the, the 70s and 80s, which are much different than today, uh, he had always been uh, somebody who had uh, interesting things to say. And so he, uh, he got plucked up by Hockey Night in Canada, and, and at first he was used as a a color commentator, like during in-game action, that didn't really work. Uh, and uh, after a year, they they found this coach's corner idea, where he would basically be given a few minutes during each intermission uh, on the Saturday night games to talk about at first the game that we were watching, but eventually it, it, it sort of broadened and uh, became uh, a, a pulpit for him to talk about anything he wanted to in the hockey world. And and eventually even even beyond that and into the world of, of politics and and whatever else have you, and he he became extraordinarily popular in that role. It, it really is hard to overstate the impact that he had and and how popular this guy was in Canada and and with hockey fans. Uh, he he just became he clearly you know you're talking. Hockey Night in Canada, especially in the 1980s, before it's the multi-channel world, before we've got online, before you've got the ability to watch all these different games. There, there's this one game a week. Mm. 
that everybody up here is sitting down together to watch. And Don Cherry became part of that ritual. And, and uh, in fact, at, at certain points, almost became the bigger part of that ritual than the game itself. Uh, you know, you, you, could sit the, you could go to a Canadian's house on Saturday uh, when they were watching the game, and, and you could talk to them while the game is on, get up and move around. But if you tried to talk to a Canadian when Coach's Corner came on, it was you you were going to get shushed and you were going to get sent out of the room if you kept it up because this was just something that we we all had as a common experience where something would happen during the week in in the world of hockey there'd be a game uh a controversy a trade somebody get fired and your first thought was all right i i wonder what grapes is going to say about this on saturday night mm. and he was over the top and he was uh, even back in those days where he wasn't really leaning into the character he became uh, more recently, uh, he, he was always flamboyant. Uh, he, he was always a straight talker. He was always controversial. He was always offensive uh, in, to, to some degree uh, and, and more offensive than uh, uh, for some people than others. But uh, it worked, and it worked brilliantly as television, uh, especially up here in a country where we just didn't have anyone like this. And, and that's that's the thing that I think a lot of people, especially if you're in the United States and you're sitting there going, who is this guy? Why is he such a big deal? What's the equivalent? I've been asked that a couple times today. What's the American equivalent to Don Cherry? And I don't have an answer for it. And And I think the reason for that is that it's not that America doesn't have anyone like Don Cherry. It's that America's got a ton of people like Don Cherry, and there's so many Don Cherries down there that you don't even notice them. It, it's not even – it's you're flipping the channel, and it's just one after another, and, and it doesn't even strike you as, as unusual or even worth noticing. And, and up yeah. here in Canada, not to play into the stereotypes of, like, the good, nice, polite Canadians, but that's just not how things work up here. And, and, and certainly uh, 30 years ago, that, that was not how – Canadian television worked, and the fact that you had this big, over-the-top, larger-than-life, loudmouth uh, on television once a week for just a few minutes, uh, somehow it just it just really clicked with people, and it and it became, uh, as I say, part of the ritual of Saturday night. Uh, and even though even though in those early years there were always some people putting their hands up, going, "Hey, we." This guy shouldn't have this platform. We shouldn't be listening to this guy. We, you know, we we need to be pushing back on what he's saying. Uh, it it just became something that clicked in for so many of us, and just became a crucial part of what it meant to be a hockey fan in this country. Yeah, the closest thing might be Barkley, but I mean, he's on a studio show. It's not like you're tuning in for a an eight minute segment every week to see Charles Barkley opine on basketball. Now. About the controversy. So there's there's two facets of this, right? So there's the why did Sportsnet do this facet, and there's the why was this uh, the firestorm that finally consumed Don Cherry. On the Rogers part, I'm thinking the sponsors step in, and behind the scenes they're like, we don't like this. At least that's the impression I've gotten. Uh, I'm thinking also that Don Cherry makes a good amount of money. And if we know anything about Sportsnet at this point, it's that they are in a cost-cutting mode, uh, letting you know John Channon go, Nick Kiprios go, Bob McCowan go, uh, as a result of of you know the success or lack thereof of this NHL deal. So 
if the opportunity is, presents itself to get rid of that salary, they probably do it too. That's at least my take on it. You can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. But the other part of it I want to ask you about is it seemed like he really struck a different nerve this time by going after the immigrant community. And is it because of the way he did it? Is it because of the notion of attacking them as the other that really was the thing that pushed the needle the other way? From a Canadian perspective, what was it about these comments that you think drew so much ire and that even the apologies didn't make a difference this time? Yeah, so, I mean, let's let's start with the Rogers viewpoint, because you're right. This was... Um, this was maybe not the worst thing that Don Cherry has ever said. Mm. Uh, and, but it, the context matters. And, and part of the context is, is you're right. There, there's been a lot of cost cutting. Part of the context is that Don Cherry is 85 years old. And even if you're the world's biggest Don Cherry fan, you would have to acknowledge that he has been coasting for a lot of years now. Uh, he has been leaning into this, this caricature of himself. Uh, the, uh, the, the stumbling, the forgetting the names, the, you know, all of this stuff has been more and more over the years. It was always there. It was, it was part of the appeal, but, uh, more and more, uh, trying to pull a coherent point out of a, a coach's corner segment has, has been tougher and tougher. So I, I don't doubt for a moment, uh, that this is the sort of thing that there may, there may have been one eye on the door already. And there have may, may have been some people at Rogers who were looking for an opportunity to move on. Uh, remember, there's a lot of new leadership there as far as the people making the hockey decisions. It's not the same people who brought Hockey Night in Canada over to Sportsnet in the first place with the big TV deal. And, and they're, they're all gone by now. So there's some new voices in the room. It, it absolutely might have felt like, hey, this is an opportunity here uh, that we've been given to move on from this guy. Uh, that said, I don't know how much money they're saving. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're still paying them for the year, and, and they were they were paying them year to year. So mm-hmm. um, it it was a situation where it was always going to be difficult when it was time to say goodbye. Uh, Don Cherry did not seem like the sort of guy who was going to voluntarily go on his own. So whether it was something that happened in an off season uh, or whether it was something that happened after a controversy like this, it, it was going to be. It was going to be difficult, and, and yeah, there may have been a sense where somebody just said, you know what, let's just bite the bullet and do it right now, and, and we move on, uh, and we, we take, take the criticism we know we're going to get, uh, but we do it now rather than let this drag on and hope he doesn't say something else over the next few months and, and try to get to the end of the season. So um, if Don Cherry had said this in 1996, would it have had the same result? No. I, I don't think it would have. Uh, I think the fact that he's clearly was already at the end of his career is is a big part of why this decision finally got made. Uh, as far as what he said and why it resonated, um, you know, I, I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people who have been very critical of Don Cherry over the years and over the decades who might be asking that same question and, and might be directing that question at people like me and saying, why now? What, what is it that finally woke you up here? Why is it that you haven't been listening all the previous times that we've pointed out uh, that he has tiptoed up to a line or jumped over a line with both feet and gone too far? Why is it just now? 
and I'm not sure there's a great answer for that. Part of it is, look, people people are more aware these days. People do think through some of these things. Uh, people are uh, uh, maybe getting a little bit wiser uh, to some of these uh, some of these dog whistles and, and and some of these code words that that get thrown around. I think you look around the world right now and you, you sort of see what's happening in other countries. You see what's happening in Canada and you realize, you know what, this this isn't just a harmless thing uh, when you let people kind of kind of tiptoe around topics like this. And, you know, as as I've written a couple of times this week, you know, it's I come at this from a perspective where, look, I'm a straight white male. I don't I, I'm not one of Don Cherry's targets. Don Cherry was never going to come after me. Uh, you know, I'm not French. I'm not European. Uh, don't tick any of the boxes that, uh, that would have him, uh, ever putting a target on my back. But this really bothered me. And, and I'm not sure that I can fully articulate why this was the time that, that, that really bothered me as opposed to some of the other things he said. But the fact that he came after new Canadians, and he did do that. And I know there's going to be people who say he never said the word immigrant. He never, you know, he never specifically pointed at people who are new to the country. He never specifically pointed at anyone who was a minority. But you could read between the lines. And with Don Cherry, you have to read between the lines because if you just read the lines themselves, they don't make any damn sense these days. Uh, so you do have to sit there and, and, and try to parse it and figure out what he meant. And it wasn't very hard this time. When he's talking about you people who come here, and he is singling those people out for a special lecture about the virtues of patriotism. Uh, that just really rubbed me the wrong way. And, I, and it really, I think, resonated with a lot of people. Don Cherry has done the poppy lecture year after year after year for decades now. This is, this is a standard part of the Don Cherry repertoire uh, that he, he comes on once a year around this time and, and tells us all to go out there and get our poppies and support the troops and, and all of this stuff. And yeah, you know what, that's a great message. And again, it's a message we don't hear a lot from other people in, on, on television up here in this country. So there's a value to that, but for him to single out people who are new to the country, you people that come here uh, and, and to treat those people as if they need a special reminder and they need uh, they need to give special consideration above and beyond what the rest of us require, uh, as far as your patriotism and your pride and and your support of of the military. Uh, it it just, regardless of what he may or may not have meant, it just felt like a bridge too far for for so many of us. And and yeah, the context here matters. If he had had forty years of a squeaky clean record, maybe you let it go. Um, but maybe you don't. And the reality is this happened on Saturday night. We found out he had been fired on Monday afternoon. That's a long time in between in, in the media world. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of that time was spent trying to convince him that he needed to get out there and apologize. And he needed to tell people, that, look, if that's not what you meant, if you people that come here didn't mean immigrants, you need to get out there and you need to say that. And you need to say that in a way that makes it clear why it would be unacceptable to say that and uh my guess is he was given that opportunity from what we've seen in some some quotes that he's offered up he he didn't feel like that would be appropriate he didn't feel like he needed to do it didn't feel like he wanted to do it and at that point uh 
even if you want to defend the guy and say you don't think he meant what it seems like he meant, uh, once it became clear what the perception was and he was given the opportunity to clarify and to say, no, I didn't mean that, and he declined, uh, those are his words now. And, and he lives with them, and he obviously made a decision uh, about how uh, he wanted to handle that perception, and that decision was that he was, he was okay with it. And once that happened, I, I really don't think they had a choice. Uh, they, they, to, to let him back on the air after he had said what he said and after he had declined uh, to either walk it back or clarify or whatever you want to say or apologize, um, I don't think there was, there was another option for them. Uh, and they did what they had to do. Sean, thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you for your perspective. It was a really incredible column on The Athletic today. I recommend everyone read it. And to totally steal Greg's words, where can people find your genius? <laughs> you you can find me on uh, on the athletic. You can find me on Twitter at Down Goes Brown, uh, where I tweet out all my all my stuff from the athletic. And, and certainly, yeah, if you uh, if you subscribe, uh, please do go and check out the column because I, I'm, I'm much better in print than I am uh, uh, when when I have to uh, put voice to to my words. Uh, so you can you can see sort of my full breakdown and my full thought process there. And if you don't subscribe, please consider uh, trying that. And uh, yeah, I also uh, I'm I'm on a podcast each week, but I I forget what it's called or who's on it with me. So I heard uh, it's I, terrible. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's it's you know a miscellaneous podcast. Uh, you can look for that as well. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Thank you. Well, I, I do I do like you on Ryan Lambert and Friends. It is my favorite podcast. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> Good show. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Sean. Thank you, guys. And now joining us is a man who needs little introduction. It's ESPN's hockey expert, Barry Melrose. And Barry, this news shocked the hockey world. It shocked Canada. Uh, Don Cherry uh, being removed from his position on Coach's Corner on Rogers Sportsnet. And I'm just curious, when you heard this all go down, what were your thoughts? Uh, I had, you stole my thunder already, but uh, shocked. Uh, I... I never once thought that would happen. I, you know, it was it's like Don was too big to fail type deal. And uh, so uh, the guys that uh, are my buddies and the guys that uh, you know I've grown up with and been talking to about this, uh, we're all we're all pretty shocked. I I think we all thought that Don would pick and choose when he retired, where he retired, uh, you know, things like that. So uh, uh, yeah, it was it was shocking. To the hockey world, I got to think. I've seen everything in the game, and I've been fired a couple times, so you know, not much bothers me. But I, I was, uh, I was very surprised that uh, Don was let go by uh, by uh, Canadian TV. The like you said, um, this was a, a firing. I mean, this wasn't Don leaving on his own accord. Yep. And the sense I get, at least the, in in my interactions with some of his fans in Canada is anger it's frustration it's a it's a it's a notion from certain parties that this was political correctness uh that has forced him out of the job um and i was wondering in your conversations with folks back home that obviously grew up watching cherry on coach's corner or or made it a, a ritualistic thing of their saturday night What's their opinion on this? Are are they upset at Rogers about this, or are they more upset at Don for having said what he said? No, my my buddies are all uh, you know uh, upset with Rogers. Uh, Don had uh, I, I, I don't 
I think the closest I could compare him to would be uh, Charles Charles Barkley. Charles would yeah. be the closest. I, I think the people in America love Charles. Uh, I think that the people in Canada love uh, Don. And and uh, I was uh, you know talking to all my buddies that that there was a lot of anger. There was uh, you know why did they do this? You know you know whatever happened couldn't have been held. You know handle handle better things like that. But it, the, the people I talked to were. Uh, upset at Rogers, no doubt about it. You know, right now we're focusing so much on these one comments he made on the Saturday show, but as we've said, he's been an institution for decades on Canadian television. I'm just curious, how will you best remember Don Cherry and if you have any personal memories uh, with him? Because I'm sure you guys have crossed paths once or twice. Oh, I've, I've had some great run-ins with Don Cherry uh, in 93. Uh, I uh, We were fighting with Toronto in, in uh, that series just before we went to Stanley Cup Finals playing Montreal. And it was getting very heated, and ESPN was doing uh, the hockey for the United States, and uh, uh, CBC was doing hockey for Canada. And, uh, you know, Don obviously uh, was working for CBC, so he was certainly was uh, up in front cheering for uh, Toronto against us. And we had a lot of uh, Ontario boys on our team, and we actually had more Toronto, more Ontario boys than Toronto had on their team. And, uh, you know, our guys were very, you know, very upset with some of the things Don was saying about about them and about, you know, uh, you know their team and stuff like that. And I uh, actually went to them and said that my uh, my players didn't want to uh, go on CBC anymore because of the, the fact we don't feel we're getting a square deal from, Tia, from CBC. So Don went on TV that night and raked me over the coals and, and blasted me and said a bunch of terrible things about me and, uh, you know, I just, uh, we, I just kept quiet and, uh, I, uh, heard him in the best possible way and that was win game seven and go on to the Stanley Cup. Toronto's <laughs> last great chance, uh, to go to the Stanley Cup, as a matter of fact. So, uh, I rally sat every time a, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you know, starts yapping about the Maple Leafs. So, but, uh, <laughs> Don, uh, Don and I became good friends after that and, uh, I respect him. Like he was, I, re- I respect people that, you know, that, he was great for hockey. He he brought a lot of fans and kept a lot of fans. And, uh, you know, his uh, coach's corner show became a staple uh, throughout Canada. Uh, every, uh, you guys are, you guys know, and you, or you guys might not be, I don't want to give you guys ages away, but uh, I don't know if you guys uh, would have saw the coach's corner and stuff growing up, would you? Well, Barry, I'm I'm 22, so I uh, no. Don't uh, be no. a liar on the show. Don't <laughs> yeah. lie on the show. Well, Don't no, I, actually, that. it's funny. I was I was thinking about that during our first segment. My 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 impression of Cherry growing up, um, is probably different than mine. Well, it is because so I'm in my early 40s, right? So I knew Don yeah. Cherry growing up as the guy in the loud suits holding the dog yeah. on the Labatt's commercials, mm-hmm. and I knew him from. Being able to go video. to my local vi- video store and pick up Rock'em Sock'em hockey yeah, VHS tapes, yeah. right? So like that was that was Don Cherry for me um, growing up in the states because we, I mean, we barely yeah. had Western Conference hockey games, let alone yeah. Canadian television. Um, well, Don but, had a Don had a great show uh, uh, where it was done in a bar. Yeah, and uh, uh, all he'd get guys in there and they just sit around the bar telling stories and. They had blue in there, and uh, they had five or six different hockey players every night. Usually, Maple Leafs, of course. But uh, so that you know, that was when I was, uh, you know, in my thirties and stuff. That was the, the show that everyone was watching. And then 
obviously coach corner took over from there but he had a he had a, a huge audience and uh, a very loyal audience audience yeah and you bring up you bring up his legacy and, and i was talking with somebody i was at uh, oilers practice yesterday um and i was talking with somebody who made a good a good point which was good luck finding a top five nhl draft pick in the last 15 years who is going to torch cherry like his his um his legacy and his appeal to Canadian junior players to the point where you got teams that wear replica jerseys of his suit, you know, uh, during the season, um, is, is renowned. And, and there's gotta be a, a, a certain affection and affinity that, that a lot of players growing up in Canada have for this guy, uh, where they're, they're probably just as shocked as some of your boys are about this. I tell you, another funny story is uh, obviously uh, they have the kids on every year. Uh, you know, you're in the rink and you see them being carted around by Don and Ron and, mm-hmm. and meeting everybody, all the uh, high draft picks. Well, when Eric Johnson was drafted, number one, like obviously at that time we we had the NHL package and, uh, you know, Eric was a huge kid growing up watching hockey, uh, you know, NHL tonight. So uh, we meet, uh, I think it was in Edmonton, but don't hold me to that. Eric comes down with the uh, all the the kids, and I'm uh, I'm having a cigar all back, just relaxing until our next hit. And see, I see this great big kid come walking over to me and says, "Mr. Melrose, I, I got to meet you. I've watched you on NHL Tonight since I was uh, two years old. Uh, you know, I, I would love to get my picture taken with you. My dad was there and stuff. So that was that was, uh, I was always funny about the uh, and I hadn't given that any thought that yeah, you know. Eric hadn't seen grapes on the air, probably, and yet he watched. Uh, he'd been watching me since he's two years old. So that was uh, you, you forget those things, or or you you don't really think of them that often until you're brought out like that. But uh, you know that was that was a great thing that uh, Rogers did. Uh, gave people a, a chance if you're on a bad team, uh, you know somebody to look at. That gee, that might be our guy, Mary. That that might be the guy we take with our uh, thir- our thirty first spot. So. Uh, you know, things like that, uh, you know, they did a good job. You know, Don and Don and Ron did a great job. There's no doubt about that. Well, Barry, before we let you go, I know you are someone who always has a sense of flair. When you came to our NHL summit in Bristol a couple years ago, you were wearing a denim on denim look. So I'm just curious, <laughs> do you have any interest in carrying on the legacy of loud suits on air that Don Cherry began? Oh, I see where you're going. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, I think I'll just stay with my really nice suits. Uh, and uh, and give the loud to somebody else. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, well, who's who's saying Don won't be back? That's not out of the question by any stretch of imagination either. So, but yeah. uh, I, I think I'll just stay with nice suits and ones that I can wear, uh, you know, all the time. One more, real quick, because we're on the uh, the verge of another hockey Hall of Fame class. I can't theme. believe you guys have a time. I thought you could just go on forever on these podcasts. Oh hell no! You know, listen, man. They tell that I, I listen. I I would go uh, five hours with Emily Kaplan talking about puck, but they tell me that people like a wow. certain bite size. They want to be able to listen to the podcast while they walk their dog, Barry. That's the real key. <laughs> uh, listen, Hockey Hall of Fames this weekend. Uh, there's been a groundswell in recent years to try to get Don Cherry into the Hall of Fame as a builder. Um, does this does this submarine that? I mean, is this something where? He doesn't get in. We're going to have to wait a while for him to get in. What, what's your take on, on Don Cherry as a potential Hall of Famer? Uh, well, I said this for years. I, I thought he should be in the Hall of Fame. Like 
um, who's the who's the biggest guy in hockey? Who's the most well known person in hockey? And that guy's not in the Hall of Fame. Does that make sense? So uh, I, uh, that'll be an interesting thing. You know, well, is that going to be you know like a uh, is that going to keep Don out? Uh, what what just happened? You know, there's 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 the uh, there's the excuse right there. So that, that's going to be an that's going to be an interesting thing that you and Emily are going to have to rehash and go over a few times. But hmm. that that's that, that's another interesting you know thing and sideline with what's uh, as if there hasn't been enough uh, the last couple of days. Just you know, people start talking about the Hall of Fame. You know, is that is that going to be something that keeps Don Cherry out of the Hall of Fame? Yeah, well, we shall see. Barry, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate all the insight, and uh, we'll see you down the line. Stay warm, guys. It's cold up here. <laughs> all right, so to kind of summarize thoughts on this Don Cherry thing, Emily, like I do feel like there is a huge contribution to hockey that should be recognized here. Um, I do think the game passed him by at some point. And maybe there should have been a bit more of a realization on the part of Sportsnet that that had happened. Um, I think that there was a certain amount of fear about what would happen if you removed Don Cherry from the equation. And I think they're seeing very, rather quickly what happens when you remove Don Cherry from the equation, especially in the manner in which they did. I agree with Barry Melrose it, that um, I still think Don Cherry is a Hall of Famer. I know that's probably not a very popular opinion at this point. Uh, based on how he was dismissed. But there is a decades-long legacy of what this guy did on the air and what he meant to Canadians and what he meant to hockey, um, for better or for worse, that it, it's hard to dismiss that impact. Um, I think a lot of the things he has said is abh- are, are abhorrent. I still can't believe that, you know, the fact that he doesn't believe that women should be in a locker room uh, in the in the capacity of journalists is something that isn't top of the mind and, and in every story written about this guy in the aftermath of these comments about immigrants. But um, I do think there's something to be said for his legacy and also to be said about the positive impact. There's a lot of sort of charitable aspects to Don Cherry that at this point you can't talk about because it sounds like you're trying to balance the equation. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying that there's a lot to Don Cherry that goes beyond the, you know, the comments that he's made that rightfully cost him his job that I think will warrant re-examination when we get a little bit of time and distance from this firestorm. I agree with those sentiments completely. And it's it's so complicated, right? Uh, but I, I believe the bottom line is that this was a guy who was stubborn and couldn't see the bigger picture. And say what you want about these comments of the you people and immigrants, or as you said, the women in the locker room. But to understand he was given this platform and he chose to use it to be divisive and alienate people, whereas the sport – we all know could use a little bit more inclusive inclusivity, a lot more inclusivity uh, was really troublesome to me. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm sad it had to end like this, but that's what happened. And and that's a great point uh, about, about the inclusivity part, because one of the things that I can't get away from is the fact that we are just a few months removed from watching Toronto fans wearing Raptors jerseys and Raptors gear come together in the same square that Maple Leafs fans joined together to watch their team. And that crowd looked a hell of a lot different than who comes Mm -hmm. out to watch the Leafs. 
And that is a hockey problem. And it is an issue that the Canadian networks are dealing with and how to grow their audience and how to grow the game and how to reach new demographics. Um, I mean, the same company that has Hockey Night in Punjabi had Don Cherry on the air uh, making comments about immigrants. And that just can't happen in, in, in 2019 and going forward. Um, there has to be ways to reach new audiences. There has to be ways for hockey to uh, penetrate new demographics. And having a guy treating those fans and those potential fans like the quote-unquote other is bad for business. And uh, it, it finally, I guess, dawned on Rogers that that's the case. So speaking of business, Emily, Eddie Belfour is a Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender who played for the Chicago Blackhawks, the Dallas Stars, and others. And Eddie Belfour is now, I mean, he's basically a whiskey. He's basically a bootlegger. He's basically a whiskey runner. He's a guy who is now in the spirits industry. And we talked to Eddie about his career, about Sergei Zuboff, about a great many things, including his new career as a distiller. Joining us now on the line, Hockey Hall of Famer, former goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks, Dallas Stars, and others. It's Ed Belfour. He is now embarking on a second career producing ultra-premium whiskey through Belfour Spirits. Sir, as a connoisseur of booze, you know, it's it's every hockey writer's, you know, lifeblood. Congratulations on this new gig. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, It's been five years uh, in the making. Uh, my son and I started this. And uh, my daughter's now involved, so it's a total family business, and we uh, we enjoy doing it together and uh, have a lot of fun with it. So I'm always fascinated in guys' second careers and how they transition into them. Just tell us a little bit. I mean, this is part business, you know, part, I understand real estate. You've got a place in Kentucky, part distilling. How did you prepare for this? Did you take classes? What was that transition like? Yeah, so I ended my career around 2009. And I was trying to find something that uh, I could do, you know, to replace the the awesome feelings you get from being, you know, uh, part of so many great teams and championships in the NHL and uh, Team Canada's and stuff like that. And that's very difficult to replace, you know, 20 years of of a lot of fun and uh, excitement. And um, so my son, also a goalie, uh, finished his career uh, somewhere around 2012, 13. And um, we just started looking into stuff that we could possibly do together. And, uh, you know, we looked at uh, the alcohol business and, you know, looked at the trends that were going on in the business and how well, uh, you know, both vodka and uh, brown spirits were doing. And um, the vodka market was pretty uh, entrenched with a lot of new brands. And hmm. and uh, it seemed like, you know, brown spirits was more at the beginning of the trend and, and we find whiskey uh, a lot more exciting and more creative anyway. So uh, we started looking into learning as much as we could about the business and um, actually watched a, a show uh, called Moonshiners that was pretty uh, funny to watch. But at the same time, we're like, well, you know, if these guys can, can make whiskey. We, we, I'm sure we can figure out how to do it, which was pretty funny. But uh, we went to... Uh, uh, distilling University in, in Canada, uh, Kelowna, BC. We were there learning as much as we could, and then we ended up going to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky. 
met a lot of great people uh, come out of that school and learned a lot about the industry. Uh, we ended up hiring a few of the people that we met uh, at the school, and uh, they've helped helped us tremendously, uh, you know, creating our brand. And, uh, you know, everything that I get involved with, I want to do it first class and do it, you know, from the bottom up and treat it the same way I treated my career. And, uh, you know, we wanted to create the most excellent whiskey that we could make and be in an ultra-premium class. You know, we, we learned everything from how to mash hmm. uh, and distill ourselves uh, to all the wood selection, all the barrels. Uh, you know, that's what creates these unique flavors of Belfort Spirits. And uh, we think it, it, you know, if you go the extra mile like I did in my career, that you know, we should have some success. I feel really bad for going to the University of Maryland now that I knew that Moonshine University was uh, available to me uh, for my there undergrad you go. studies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Eddie, you know, there's been a lot made about the changing habits of NHL players. There's, uh, I recently saw a story about how a lot of these dudes are uh, drinking wine on the road because it's not as uh, as uh, taxing on the body as, say, like uh, spirits or beer. Now, back in your day, uh, rocking and rolling with the Blackhawks and the Stars, what, what was the drinking culture like for you guys away from the rink? Well, it was a little bit of everything. Uh, growing up in Canada, um, you know, we started drinking beer and whiskey when we were probably 12 or 13 years old, so <laughs> that was pretty normal for us to drink beer. Um, you know, all throughout my career was uh, beer and whiskey and a little bit of wine uh, once in a while on special dinners. So, um, you know, we uh, we basically were beer and, and whiskey guys, though. But, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, nowadays they're, they're taught that, uh, you know, maybe wine is a little bit more healthy for you. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not so sure that's the case. Uh, <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with how much sugar's in the product, to be honest with you. Right, right. Well, as we talk about times changing, you know, one of the biggest buzzwords these days in the NHL is, well, in sports is load management. And in hockey, we really just talk about it with goalies. And I'm curious, you know, when you won your Vezina, your first Vezina in 91, you played 74 games. Do you feel like goalie workload management is a long time coming? Or is it kind of BS if a guy can handle that workload, just give it to him? Well, I feel that if the guy can handle the workload, then you give it to him because you want your number one guy in the net as much as possible. Uh, the coach has confidence in him. The players have confidence in them, in that goalie. And the players get used to playing a certain way for a guy, and they have the confidence in that guy. The defense play a certain way. like They know they can take more chances. The forwards know they can take more chances when they have confidence in their goalie. When they have a goalie back there that, you know, plays every once in a while and, you know, he's not quite used to how the defense plays and they don't always have that same confidence in that guy. So that's why, you know, over the years you've seen teams where they try to split goalies and, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but for the most part it doesn't, especially when you get to the playoffs. Like for a guy to – to play, you know, every second game in the playoffs and, and split games, that's pretty tough and it's tough on the team. It, it doesn't create that consistency. So I'm a firm believer you should have a, a number one guy and he can handle, you know, anywhere from, you know, 55 to 65 games is probably a good number. Um, you know, I played 74 
when I was a rookie. That that was a lot of games. Uh, I could handle it because I was uh, in great shape. Um, you know, always worked out. I took my uh, all my off ice stuff real serious, and you have to be able to to do that and, and be in great shape to be able to play that many games and play at a high level, and then have the energy to play. You know, possibly another uh, twenty eight games in in, um, in the playoffs. You know, um, so that's a difficult thing. Uh, I, I do see more and more where guys are playing less games and, and you talk about load management. Maybe that has something to do with, you know, be, the schedule being maybe a little bit more condensed now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they don't get as many days in between uh, the season shorter uh, in, in uh, time period. So that could have something to do with it. I don't have all the answers, but I'm a firm believer in, in one guy. There you go. In the last 25 years, we've had six goalies get into the Hall of Fame. Grant Fuhr, Patrick Waugh, yourself, the Dominator, Rogie Vachon, and Marty. The Hall of Fame has got a bias against goalies. Come on, don't they? Like Vernon's still out there, Cujo's still out there. Six guys since 1994, Eddie. Well, it's kind of like, you know, the the trapezoid uh, rule they put in you know, I don't know what year that was, but, you know, they talk about making the NHL, you know, a more skilled game, yet they take away a skill from the goalies. You know, that wasn't easy to do uh, back in the 90s when, you know, guys like Marty Brodeur and myself, uh, you know, there's a few guys who could really play the puck well and, and uh, you know, go get the puck in the corner and play it up uh, and, and make an outlet pass and save your defenseman from getting creamed into the boards. I mean that took a lot of energy and skill, and and yet they they take take that skill away from goalies. So, you know, again, it's a numbers game. Uh, you know, if it were a bunch of goalies running the league, you know, the, the, the rules would be much different, I would imagine. So, <laughs> the same thing. I you know, I don't have any control over who's picking uh, the, the the goalies that get inducted, obviously. But uh, maybe there there aren't too many of the the goalies that are on the committee and, um, you know, we kind of get overlooked once in a while. Do you still follow the league pretty closely? I watch a few games here and there and I love the playoffs. The playoffs are my favorite time of year. And I, I think the game in the playoffs is a lot more like the old style game. You know, they let the guys play. There's a lot more rough and toughness and a lot more hitting and, you know, a lot more excitement. So I, I like the playoffs for sure. And so I'm curious, what goalie today impresses you the most? If it's game seven on the line, like who do you want back there for you if you can't play? There's so many. There's a lot of, it seems to me, it's spread out throughout the league. Um, I don't really have one favorite because there's been guys that have, have played like really good for short stints in the league right now. But, um, you know, I think there's some goalies out there that, uh, you know, have done a great job for quite some time, like Jonathan Quick. And, um, you know, I think it's hard to pick one guy. Uh, I think Jonathan's had some injuries he's had to deal with uh, for a while. But uh, Jonathan is definitely one of my favorites. Um 
So I, I'd, I'd probably go with Jonathan Quick. It's hard to say. Eddie, where can people pick up your uh, your stuff, your uh, your whiskey and your product, man? Yeah, so right now we're we're in Illinois, mainly Chicago. Uh, we're at uh, a few different liquor stores there. Sal's in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're at Goody Goody. We're at uh, Eagles. We're at a few different ones, smaller ones, but uh, for the majority, we're in Dallas. We're in Houston, Austin, and San Antonio, and then Chicago. We plan on going to uh, six new states every year. You know, it's been an exciting time. Uh, next year, we'll be in Canada also. Eddie, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. We'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, our thanks to Eddie Belfour. You can pick up Eddie's whiskey in uh, Illinois and in Texas, I believe, as well. Is where it's available. And uh, Eddie tells us that they're going to be adding 10 states every year. So, Emily, in six years, his whiskey will be available in 60 states. It's pretty amazing. Why does this feel like an SAT question? <laughs> now it's time for our, sa- our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look look at sad sad hyperbole hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel of Hot Dog. It's the segment each week when we look at the uh, foibles and the hyperbole of the hockey media. Emily, you ever hit a pinata? You ever just take a whack at a pinata? Why, yes, I have. Remember how like all the candy falls out when you hit it good? That's kind of like Phil Kessel loves hot dogs this week in the sense that the Don Cherry News sparked... Just a pinata full of uh, bad takes trickling down upon our heads after we whack it with a stick. I'm going to go to this one, though, from Dave Staples uh, of the Edmonton Journal. Um, Dave's a guy that I've known online for many, many years. Uh, But he wrote a story about who wants to come up with – he wants to come up with who's going to be the next Don Cherry. And he kind of did a a scouting report of of who he thinks could be the next Don Cherry who could take over that segment on Hockey Night in Canada. He's not the first guy to say this. Or the last guy to say this, but I'm going to pick on him for saying it. His top choice is Ray Ferraro. Now, Ray Ferraro is brilliant. He's the best between the benches guy in the game. And uh, one of the smartest analysts that you could ever find. He also works for TSN. And I'm assuming he has a contract. So right then and there you have one issue. Here's the other issue. Even if his contract was coming up, You know what TSN likes to do for people that might jump over and help out their arch rivals, especially in a prominent post Don Cherry role? Uh, they're going to back up the truck to keep them with TSN. That's what they did for all of their talent when Sportsnet got the rights. That's why Sportsnet, you know, kept their crew of, of, you know, Kiprios and all those guys together and, and the, 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 the panel that everybody loves over at TSN stayed at TSN because TSN paid them very handsomely. So, while I enjoy a good fantasy casting, Emily, uh, the idea that Ray Ferraro would be even an option for this Hockey Night in Canada job uh, seems uh, patently ridiculous, given... A very course. inside baseball, Phil Kessel has hot dogs. I know. Well, that's why... I, what are we doing if not uh, trying to uh, entertain and educate on this very podcast? Speaking of which, mm. uh, here are your puck headlines. Dateline Raleigh. 
So a video went viral uh, before we did the show this week showing a Hurricanes fan holding an ice cream cone, being distracted by looking at someone someone's phone. Another Carolina Hurricanes fan sneaks by him, steals the ice cream cone, begins eating it, attempts to put it back in its holder until this guy turns around a little bit, and then the, the guy just kind of walks away with the cone. The question here, as has been a raging debate in the ESPN and Ice Slack, was this real or was this fake? This was completely staged, and my number one piece of evidence is, watch the video, nobody holds their ice cream like that. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at a phone and you have an ice cream cone in your hand, I mean, chances are you're going to be consuming it while you look at the phone. You don't just kind of like hold it out like your Lady Liberty, which is kind of what this guy did. 100%. All right. Uh, I think Sarah Sivian's going to be on the case on uh, whether or not this was real or not. Please do follow her. I would her. trust her to do this. is definitely her wheelhouse. This is definitely her wheelhouse. Uh, she is, of course, a beat writer uh, for The Athletic on the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, so look out for her uh, coverage on this. Uh, Dateline, Arizona. Oh, by the way, I think it's real uh, because I'm naive. John Chaka has another year and a half on his contract, but recently got a contract extension from the Coyotes. Does he deserve this? Interesting timing, uh, but also not interesting timing because there is a new owner and he's come in and, and he's taken stock of what he sees. That's Alex Morello. And look, I don't know if I would be in the business of handing out long-term extensions for people who still have what in hockey terms is a long-term left on their deal. Um, but in the great picture, bigger picture of things, John Chica took this team out of a rebuild. They're looking competitive now. He has made enough splash to sell tickets in the desert, which is good enough for them. And let's face it, um, he's not the most expensive general manager in the league, and they probably got a pretty good deal on him. So I, I see where Arizona's going with this. I also think there's something to be said for consistency. I'm sure that Morello comes in and he yes. sees that the organization is on a, a, a certain course, whether you agree with that course or not. I mean, there is a plan at the very least. And, uh, you know, positive momentum can be usurped pretty quickly if you're uh, changing at the top. So, listen, I- I've talked to John a lot. He's a very impressive guy. It does not shock me that putting him in a room with a guy like Alex Morello uh, he walks out with a contract extension because I think John is, is someone that can really sell you on the idea that, that he's got the right idea on what to do with this franchise. Um, again, I, I, I don't like a lot. I don't like a good number of the contracts they've handed out just because I feel like they are investing years into guys that may or may not be foundational players. Um, Who's that, but there's like the no argument of the world. Yeah. And, but at the same time, there's no argument to be made good. that they've, they're playing well, and he's got a good coach in place, and there's a very good chance they could end up being a playoff team. And if that's the case, then then he's building something pretty good there. Um, so, see what happens. Uh, Dateline NWHL. Oh man, I want to talk about this story? Hillary Knight, our good friend, former NWHL player, former CWHL player, told the Associated Press that the National Women's Hockey League is quote a glorified beer league. Said Knight. It's a glorified beer league to me. It's serving a purpose, but it's not elite talented players that are playing at a high level. 
there was uh, backlash against Knight from from uh, women's hockey punditry saying that this is not exactly the line that the um, Women's uh, Players Association should be putting out there at this time, especially when there's been little to no contact between them and the NWHL since uh, their declaration that they weren't going to play there this year. You've you've covered this uh, situation extensively. What's your take on what Hillary Knight said? I think that there is a second wave of messaging going on right now with the Women's Players Association. Um, it's no longer um, about the Dream Gap Tour and giving girls something to latch onto, and it still is that. But they also want to remind people that the there's no opportunities available that they see to be fit, and there's situations last year where they had to get their own laces and their own tape and scramble for ice time. And it's really not a professional league. And I think that message we're going to start hearing again and again. I think Hillary Knight definitely took it to the next level with her imagery that said Hillary Knight always beats her own drum. And look, we're all talking about that quote. So I, I think it was not necessarily coincidental. Um, I agree that it can be detrimental to the women's game because there is this league going on. And hey, there can be two leagues that feasibly exist in the future and the NWHL can thrive and the women can get their league perhaps backed by the NHL that they want. And perhaps that could be more of a minor league system. I don't know, but um, it definitely sparked a little debate and, and I don't think it was um, totally coincidental. My two reactions to this are one, who, who does she think is going to populate these teams in the WNHL? Like, is it not going to be any NWHL players that you just called basically amateurish and garbage? I mean, it, it doesn't seem very – it seems kind of counterproductive when you're trying to sell the idea that there should be a women's league that you're saying that the some of the women that are going to obviously be playing in this league are, you know, inferior uh, for having I don't think she league. was saying that. I think she was talking more of, of the league in general and what the league can provide the players. Well, it, she said it's not elite talented players that are playing at a high level. I mean, she did call out the players as well. I mean, I, I agree sure. with you that she's obviously talking about the infrastructure of the league, but she's also kind of saying that there's not elite elite players in the league. Like the product's not. Well, elite yeah, I either. mean, the best players in the league aren't playing in it. I mean, the best no, players I agree in the world with you, aren't but playing like, in it. It's there aren't enough players on the Canadian and American teams to populate a, a women a national women's hockey league. Like you're going to have to get former NWHL players and CWHL players to play. I mean, yeah. it, it's just it, her group has about 200 players right now. That. Could if you fill that out with some Europeans, they could make a league. Yeah. Well, I I I found that to be counterproductive. The other thing too is that at the end of the day, whenever these topics come up when it comes to the NWHL, I feel like the NHL needs to take some blame. They're the ones who have set up this zero sum game of as long as there's a women's league in existence, we're not going to really have any salient conversations or or productive uh, construction of a women's league of our own. Um, so. To get to where the elite women want to get to, they have to trash the league that exists and not play for it and de- denigrate the product until it doesn't exist anymore. It's a great point. And I think there's a certain amount of blame that the NHL should take for that, for having set that up. Uh, finally, uh, Dateline uh, Shilling. Disney Plus is available. I'm sure you saw Adam Schefter's tweet. It's going to change your life. Uh, not your life. It's going to change lives. Period. Lives. Lives, plural. Um, there is actually a hockey hook to this, though, uh, on top of letting you know that Disney Plus is now available and The Mandalorian was great. The Mighty Ducks uh, reportedly getting a reboot on our own streaming service. Emily, what would you want out of a Mighty Ducks 
television series on Disney Plus. Um, I'd like a little bit of a kinder depiction of Iceland this time around. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we should go back to Iceland and, and maybe go to the Blue Lagoon and all the other things that we tourists have come to enjoy in that great city thanks to their excellent airfare deals to get to Europe. Um, maybe they can explore other emerging hockey markets, come play the Kenyan ice islands, maybe just jet set in that way. Um, oh, I love other it. than that, I'm open to all interpretations. See, your idea is a pretty good one. Like turn the Mighty Ducks series into like the World Cup of, of, of youth hockey and yes, bring in teams yes, from all exactly. over the place for sure. Um, maybe part so, travel show as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Selfishly, um, I'd love to see uh, Josh Jackson uh, become Emilio Estevez. I'd love to see Joshua Jackson uh, return and be the Gordon Bombay, Bombay of the series, only because Josh Jackson has proved himself uh, during his time on The Affair. Oh, listen to that. As being uh, a fantastic actor. And I would love to see him uh, be the coach uh, for the revamped Mighty Ducks. That's my hope. And also, you know, my wife would probably watch it with me if Josh Jackson is the ho- is the coach of the Mighty Ducks. All right, now it's time for the uh, the rant line. Brian from St. Louis here. They uh, should be a happy Blues fan, Stanley Cup champion, first place in the West. Why do I feel like this team is going to be a disaster? Quit blowing <laughs> leads in the third period. Just finish off the game. Just win the game. I love overtime. It's fun. I'm tired of overtime. I don't want to see David Perron score another game-winning overtime goal unless I have to, I guess. I just want to win the game regulation. Is that so much to ask for? Am I crazy? I guess I'm just, uh, I don't know. Down cherry sucks. To answer your question, yeah, I do think you're a little crazy. You're the first, uh, you're the defending Stanley Cup champ. You're the first place in the West. You take wins how you get them. And maybe it's something against David Perron, but it's okay if he keeps scoring overtime winners for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a weird juxtaposition to have praised the, uh, the team for their, uh, you know, non-hangover acumen. And then they have a blues fan call up and be like, "Oh, by the way, things are horrible." I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, but to to put a fine point on it, the St. Louis Blues in the third period uh, this season, uh, sixteen goals for, and uh, sixteen goals against. So, you know, zero sum game as far as uh, the collapses or, or such. I suppose. Anyways. Um, if you want to call the rant line and complain about your, uh, first place team, we're always available at 860-516-1029. Uh, you know, even if you're like, you know, you're a Seahawks fan, you're just like, oh, I hate my team winning in overtime and stuff and beating Man, undefeated why does teams. Why Geno Smith have to be so good at calling heads or tails and letting it right. be the right one? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you're, you know, Mina Kimes, if you're out there and you want to complain about your team defeating an undefeated football team, you know, and be in league with a Blues fan complaining about his first place team, by all means, the rant line is open. All right, that's ESPN on Ice this week. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can follow me on Twitter, at Wyshynski. Um, my Instagram uh, is listed somewhere on my uh, my Twitter, and um, 
you can go there to look at all of my Japan stuff. And, uh, and also, uh, the wish list this week is going to talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it's also going to talk a little bit of uh, Don Terry stuff. So do check that out on Thursday. Two not hot button tickets at all. <laughs> She's like, can't wait. Uh, Emily Kaplan at Emily M. Kaplan on pretty much all platforms. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.